Ending hunger, poverty, and reducing inequality will take a whole lot more than what has been business as usual for us. That's why at the Local Development Research Institute, we're bringing African voices to share with us their take on what the future holds. This is the next African Agenda. Today I'm joined by John Kamara. Uh, multi-talented, uh, <laughs> a genius. Uh, that's that's kind of how that's kind of how I came out after my first interaction, you know, with you, John. The first time we met, you know, wondering how much time do you have in a day? You seem to have more hours, you know, allocated to you by the heavens than than the rest of us. Uh, you know, you're, you're director of the Machine Intelligence Institute of Africa, uh, founder of Afia Record um, and other labs. Uh, you're based here in Nairobi with an amazing, amazing. Uh, life story. Uh, so welcome to the next African Agenda. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to being on your uh, show and uh, here we are. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I think maybe we could get started by, you know, just hearing a little bit about how you got here. Uh, because I think you're one of the people I I have on my mind as the top experts on AI data, you know, that whole Shebang. Uh, but how, how did you get here where, you know, you're, you're in Nairobi, you're, you're a founder of some amazing work um, at Afia Records and other labs. You, you know, you're a director at the Machine Intelligence Institute of Africa in South Africa. Uh, how did you get here? Can you take us a bit through that journey? <laughs> it's been a long journey. Uh, first of all, I started as a university dropout. So, uh, so we kind of, that's where my education ended. Uh, and um, just self-learned a lot, worked for a lot of tech companies in Ireland, uh, the UK, um, Europe, Asia, uh, worked in telecommunications, um, worked in the, with the likes of Google, uh, then also worked in very um, software-intensive um, uh, tech companies as well. Um, then ventured into entrepreneurship, which is always um, always looking for the next thing to do, uh, and uh, you know built a small startup. Um, was lucky enough to sell it in my first venture ever. Um, so those were my early formative years, but always wanting to find a way to get engaged with smart technologies. So I was always, I mean, and there was a, a time when there was a technology that was really called QT, and I, I remember hadn't, I had gotten involved in it, with a programming mm-hmm. language, and uh, I had been, you know, so I always found myself very interested with people who are creating new smart technology protocols. But AI has always been there. And if you remember the days of predictive analysis mm-hmm. and, and business intelligence using analytics of data, but it was just, you know, the next level of, you know, now building machines that can actually help you do those things and machines that can think faster, quicker, with more precision than you. Uh, and that was, that's really the premise of, um, you know, machine learning. So, and then coming tonight, coming back to Africa five years ago, you know, working across, you know, um, different countries. I mean, since I've been back, I've been to about over 35 countries in Africa. 
Um, starting wow. from zero one country before I came back five years ago. So I've gotten to feel a lot of places and I quite don't like people telling me things. I like going there myself. Uh, and um, then worked as a, a CEO for one of the large AI companies from South Africa. I was African CEO and, and helping to, you know, really grow the exponential value of machine learning into mm-hmm. the different markets. Uh, but at the same time, seeing as a black African, the opportunity that you know Africa presented to us to do amazing things and using some of the skills that we have. And while I was a director, while I am still a director of the Machine Intelligence Institute, uh, I was also able to interface with a lot of um, companies and you know startups, existing franchises, uh, enterprises that are paid. But seeing what the opportunity held for us, and I, I thought to myself, you know, I think this is another time to jump in again. Mm-hmm. into the startup world. So this will be my fourth startup venture um, um, uh, to jump in again and, and now really um, use some of those skills that I've acquired to be able to drive exponential growth for the consumer businesses that I believe in. And that's kind of, a, and you know, for me, Africa is the, the playing field. It's not about Kenya, Nigeria, Ghana, Zambia. It's, I'm an African and I can, I can live and work anywhere. As long as I can add value to uh, the people in that country and add value to our continent as a whole, just the same way as a European, you can go to any European country and work. Why can't, why shouldn't we look at ourselves in that format as Africans? Wow, and 35 countries. You know, I, I'm, you know, two things blew my mind. First, that you had a successful exit as a startup um, founder, you know, back in the day, and then you you know that i have i have i think maybe i've been globally to 35 countries <laughs> you know i think i think that's that's that that has given you an amazing insight um and a perspective on the continent that um i think a lot of us would be extremely envious of uh what are some of your most fond memories um you know in a, in an african country especially in in this space working on tech I think um, when the, the, the is a vibrant and the enthusiasm of the young people of our young, across all the different countries. That was one common denominator: the vibrant and the enthusiasm and the skills level of our young people uh, who are looking to you know build the next generation of African solutions. How who are looking to digitize Africa? Who are looking to create products that make sense to our economies and to our communities, and and then the second thing that also you know which blew my mind is a level at which they don't get the support they deserve or the support they need, but also a lot of the knowledge that they need to be able to handle and understand the challenges or some of the failures that they would face along the way. So, those are some of the things that are quite common in most countries that I have been to, especially within the tech space. Uh, when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, just delving into the whole AI um, and big data space. You know, you're, you're, you're working with, you know, you're doing some interesting things here already with, uh, with AI. On, on Afia Afia Records, could you tell us a little bit about you know this amazing uh, startup. 
So um, with Afia Records, the, the the problem, there's two problems that we were solving, or we are trying to solve. One is, you know, standardization and structure of health data. Because before you talk about AI or machine learning, the data has to be structured, right? Yeah, yeah. So how do we capture accuracy of data, of health data, to be able to provide better healthcare access and service for patients? Um, and that's where we started from. And in that, we had to centralize the data with the patient. Because, you know, if you think about it, data is like oxygen. Mm-hmm. It's free-flowing. Because, you know, we're just leaving points of data just in this conversation now. And it's flowing from me to you because you're collecting it and somebody else is going to listen to it. And somebody, and that is the consistent flow of data. So, and health data is no different from um, any other form of data. So that was the first thing was how do we make this accessible for the health practitioners and the health facilities to be able to access the patient data, first capture, standardize, then access consistently, and then also for the patient to also have access to that health data as well. So, and when you talk about creating an integrated ecosystem for healthcare, data is at the center of it. And and that is from public to private to mission hospitals to, you know, different, because you can't just talk about private or public alone. There's still tons of data that gets lost in the private sector in healthcare, even way more than in the government, in the public sector. So that is where we kind of sat in our thought process and how do we create a platform that allows collection, capture of data, consistent movement and free flow of the data, and accessibility of that data, both to the health practitioners, the, uh, the infrastructures, the institutions, and the patients as well. Then once that is done, then how do we add machine learning? to begin to understand prevalences of certain type of diseases? How do we start modeling diseases? How do we start managing outbreak before they even happen? Because we can track symptoms, we can look at you know, geolocation-based management of diseases, we can look at real-time interception of what is happening, and then we can begin to predict and analyze, or we can begin to connect, say, what does Ebola and malaria look like? How, how, how did you get out the door you know, um, you know, you have this this fantastic idea. You've uh, identified, you know, an approach that could help solve it. Uh, how, uh, you know, because I think one of my observations over time has been that, that you know, that as a technologist, sometimes you build something and it looks really, really sensible, and then you go out the door and then you get punched in the face by real life. How, how did you get out the door with with Afia Record? So I think the first thing was we um, we started thinking first of real life. So because you said real life punches you in the face. So we thought about real life first and we engaged real life before we even started building. Mm-hmm. Uh, we engaged real life. We tried to understand is it something that actually makes sense for people? Um, you know, what are the resistances that we would have? Um, over the next three, three, four years, we would be able to overcome those resistances. It's a pertinent topic. And AI. So when we kind of analyze all these, and obviously coming from being having run a startup in the past, successfully having failed in a startup, you know, so you kind of develop those, you know, very basic knowledge about how you want to go about a market. And then when we finish that, then we went by, okay, what is step one? What does the day one look like? So we then started building a product around that first of all, before we even added, started thinking about the smart technology, but it's layering the product infrastructure, first of all, to make sure that it would work with smart technologies when we start uh, building that out. So it was more looking at the consumer angle first, 
looking at the challenges, because also health is a very sensitive space. Yes, it extremely, is. extremely unlike health, agriculture, fintech, whatever it is. And I asked them, you know, somebody I told somebody, I could have picked an easier thing to do. I really don't understand sometimes why did I put myself up? Because I believe that I am called to something bigger than myself. Because this is not just about me. This yeah. is about over a billion people in this continent who need access to better healthcare. And my theory is really simple. We can't build enough hospitals because rebuilding hospitals in rural communities comes so many infrastructure issues and yeah. also the cost of it. We and the human resources as well. Yes, and, and then coming to human resources. We can't get enough human resources because we have almost close to 20, 30% less people going to medical school or studying medicine or anything to do with that. All our young people want to be in entertainment, technology, all these are exciting, sexy forms of careers, right? Mm-hmm. So that means we're losing out on actually, and the ones that we have are moving to places where they pay them better money. It's just human nature. Yeah. So we're now, st- the last thing that we can use to help is data. If we actually understand data, maybe the resource and the infrastructure we have can actually provide better, quicker, and faster service for us. So that's why we focused on that. Yeah, so instead of uh, giving the whole sensitive data problem a white bus, you know, you kind of dive headlong in, into this. But in terms of other sources of, of data, are there any... Uh, you know, kinds of like big data sources or interesting data streams that Appia Records also uses other than the actual medical data? Yeah, so for, for what we're also looking at, purely from an R&D perspective, we're looking at, you know, um, geographical data. Uh, we're looking at um, environmental data as well. And we're also working with a bunch of folks who are doing amazing stuff in, you know, um, genome type data as well to begin mm-hmm. to understand, you know, what that looks like from, you know, multiple multicultural facets of African lifestyle. And that is clearly an R&D stuff that we're doing on our own because we also are building what we call a biotech business that begins to look at that. And then we will be coming out with research information then some of the things that we want to do in genomics as well. And then some of the things we want to do in understanding prevalences of diseases in spe- specific clusters of Africa or specific clusters of certain types of people across, you know, the African landscape. So those are some of the other research and, and biotech areas that we are also sort of getting involved in as, as a company. Well, wow, so you're looking at a genomic data and that whole, you know, gene, yes. what is called gene sequencing? Yeah, genome sequencing. Are there peers in this space that are attempting this uh, no 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 <laughs> so you guys so once again you're you're out there you know breaking new ground cutting, we're out of cutting the through the, the 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 wilderness with a machete for the rest of us to come we're, we're kind of like well you know that guy that's in there a snow-filled mountain just by himself <laughs> so you can either catch a coat and freeze it to death or you might actually make it past the, the snow we, we're taking the chance that we might make it past the snow freeze mountain before we freeze to death <laughs> i have great hope that you that you will you know that this is a really interesting source of data um so just more broadly what sources especially of big data have you found you know, really interesting um you know and source of big data that you found particularly useful I think environmental um, data has been quite interesting because there's a lot of big data there. 
where you use for farming, you can use for environmental management, you can use for soil reproduction, um, you can use for human interference in terms of cluster of organization. So like uh, so, um, mostly the kind of um, environmental data that comes out of remote sensing. Yeah, remote sensing, um, you know, satellite data, yeah. um, huge geographical data. That's mm -hmm. one. Uh, also, KYC financial service data in terms of transactional mm -hmm. value has also been a very, very big source of, you know, in my past year with Cortex, you know, I, I, we analyzed a lot of that and you could learn pattern sequencing and you can recreate patterns, you know, just from looking at that data and running models that allow you to recreate a whole pattern from not just from descriptive model of the data, but saying, well, if I have this set of data sets, can I recreate a new pattern of what it might look like in a different type of world for these type of customers? And then from there, I start running a decision tree. What do, what do these customers then need to do to be able to get to this type of pattern? And that's where I find a problem with credit score, the way it is at the minute. How, how do we improve uh, the state of our credit scoring, especially now in a place like Africa? I mean, especially, you know, once you've had a look at all that fascinating data from, from you know, know your customer kinds of data sources, and then on this other side, you're dealing with inclusion problems and financial inclusion and the challenges of, you know, the gender disparity and access to services, especially when it comes to financial services. Is there, did, you, did you manage to catch a glimpse of, you know, <laughs> What what is possible with the kind of data that we now have? I think it's also going down to redefining a lot of the things that we do in this continent, right? Because mm -hmm. we've borrowed and we've just, you know, copy and pasted. You know, in an exam, when you have that guy who is very, very good, but you're actually quite good as well, but they've told you this guy is the best student in physics. So you literally just copy and paste everything he's doing, yeah, including his name. <laughs> on your document and then you submit it I mean mm. you're going to consistently find fault in what you because you haven't and I always think the end result is not really the objective it's the process in which we get to the end result everybody in the world is trying to get to the same Europe, America the, the same but the process they, they define their own process that works for their own end result we haven't defined our own processes in Africa that work for our own and let's give a specific example so financial services, where, you know, you take women, a specific group, and you take women in low income brackets, which make up a huge percentage. And, you know, and, and a lot of these women are traders, they're farmers, they're what, what, they're this and that. And they are not financially included. They're not mm -hmm. financially eligible. And they are not, their data sets also don't really exist. And in places where they get involved in some kind of financial services, they are judged under the same criteria of what we call credit score, which nobody actually knows what those criteria are. You just get told that your credit score is shit, right? Yeah. So first of all, so but now if you go deep down into the ecosystem of these women, they have been, let, let's look at the savings group economy, for example. These women have been saving money for years and I'll give you a particular example. A friend of mine talks about uh, uh, her mom who worked, she was in part of this savings group for over 20 years. The mother had raised two PhD students. One went to the US and one studied in Africa. Just a single mother, right? And she has saved across the savings group for over 20 years, repaid all her loans, run a business. 
And when the kids grew up and she decided, I would like to now try a different form of business and really grow. She went to the bank. They told her she had a negative credit score or that it doesn't even exist. Yeah. She's not in the and, data. I mean, chances are she... But, there, but there's so much data about her. Yeah, right? in other places, yeah? yeah. Exactly. But what happens is because the data set that they use is just saying, oh, well, your Mrs. X, you have probably done, and she probably hasn't saved much money in the bank or whatever. So you have no value. We're going to go loan the same guy who has a big company who owes us millions of dollars. We're just going to go loan him money. Mm-hmm. Because... So this woman who, or we're going to go learn the guy who works in a company who earned a thousand dollars a month money. He's a more valuable customer. Absolutely not. The data sets, when you analyze it, says that this woman is, I mean, credit score, nine out of 10. Consistency and continuity of the credit score, something that I call value score, which you will hear a lot about in the future, 10 out of 10. Because value score creates the root cause, creates the root value for credit score. Mm-hmm. And it's in Africa that value score is tied to what I call the trust protocol. And when you analyze that data sets of that person and multiple people like that, and you create a pattern and you say, why don't we recreate the credit score you know, um, metrics for these people. Why don't we also use value scores and trust protocols within our own society and come up with a score value that makes sense and make it dynamic. Yeah. Then go into those societies where those women are. And so again, you know, those are the glimpse of moments that I had. And, and I've sat with so many bank CEOs and bank MDs and had this conversation. They tell you legal cannot do this. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> they get they, they're tied by you know what what they what the system that they built. But the say. ones who started in some few countries, you can see the level of growth that they've quickly amassed in this you know dynamic informal but formal ecosystem where eighty percent of the data lives. Um, when it comes to, because I know we talked about this, you know, last time we met and, um, you know, we have all these amazing sources of data that are available for, you know, alternate scoring, for instance, um, or better targeting of interventions to address a disease, you know, like, you know, right now we have a pandemic that is turned our world upside down. Uh, so on one side, you have the data, we have a lot of progress that's happened on the infrastructure side, but then you have this human capital challenge, especially on the, on the continent. Um, and I, I, I know part of your life, you know, is dedicated to, to helping with this, which is, uh, you know, I imagine one of the big reasons why uh, you're a director at the Machine Intelligence Institute. Um, but could you, you know, Share with us a little bit about, you know, your thinking on how do we build, how do we help raise the next generation of uh, data scientists and, and engineers that can work on the continent on the issues that we need to address? Good question. Um, so that's an area that I've been involved in um, quite a full bit now in the past two years, trying to get a number of folks to really look at forming a coalition 
And, you know, President Ramaphosa, when he came on to become AU, um, AU chairman, talked about 14 industrial revolution and training and AI being a huge part of that. Um, here in Kenya, they've talked about it in Nigeria. So everybody, you know, the conversation is live, is happening. But the, the, the problem, the opportunity, I don't call it a problem, lies in the fact that we have an able workforce, a smart youth economy that can gravitate into knowledge very, very quickly to be able to become these data scientists and these AI engineers. So the first layer is how do we train them? Okay, and mm -hmm. underneath that training is what is the process of actually training them? And what is the real life experiences that they gather? And how do we build the industries that actually accommodate them? So this is all part of the same one big box because you can't separate it. If you just say, let me just train AI engineers and you train an AI engineer, we've been, we've been doing it in Africa for so many years, you go to school, you learn physics, you become the best in physics and you go to America, you can't actually create a very simple equation in real life. But you theoretically, you're the best at it. And we don't want these things to happen anymore. So mm -hmm. first of all, the process and the people who are training these people, some of them, again, are very theoretical, process driven without any real life understanding or any real life application of some of those things that we're talking to these kids about. Because you remember mm -hmm. these kids are very hands-on. Yeah, they are. Exactly, so you, that's one thing. Then getting a lot of the um, enterprise partners who are you know, the big companies involved in this process and getting them to participate functionally because it doesn't just rely on government. Because anything the government does, you find it's very hard to see. That word sustainability becomes extremely hard. One regime comes, they decide we don't like what this other one did, they change it. So there's no continuity and sustainability. Or you then start going to NGOs, again, how are you going to? So I think you know, one of the things in machine intelligence we've been trying to do is say, how do we get the private sector to actively get involved in creating knowledge making that knowledge useful because the use cases make sense, create an economy that assimilates that knowledge, and then working with government then to be able to expand that knowledge to people who can't afford it. And that is how we're going to create a human capital ecosystem that creates value. I mean, if you look at Ireland, for example, in the late 90s, early 2000, when, you know, early 90s, when Ireland went through a very difficult period and they created things like FORCE, the vocational education program, program that allowed everybody to get involved. Slowly, first of all, assessing people to know where their big strengths are, a country of 4 million people turned into a knowledge-based economy. Yeah. And people say only because there was taxation. It wasn't because of taxation that a lot of the big companies came to Ireland. It was because also they could find the right type of knowledge economy they needed to sustain their businesses. Yeah, otherwise they'd have to, you know, not just set up base there because of the taxation, but they'd have to ship in exactly. you know, all the people <laughs> that they would need to get their exactly. tax done. That's so that's my view. And, and you know, it's something that we... We all need to come together, including you, to really, you know, really, 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 really get these um, um, these private sector organizations to understand the role that they have to play. And it's not about money. You know, even when you say role, they quickly think money. I work with so many young people and I, 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 get, the, I get really, um, I get sad when I see how the talent waste is happening 
And then that talent, all they see is just a quick fix opportunity because that's the only thing our society offers them at the minute. So for us who are over 40, we have a responsibility now because we can talk about what our parents did wrong or what they did, but all of us, we've trained in Europe, America, we've come back, we're sealed. But now we, we have a responsibility, a real, real responsibility to this continent. And you, you must take it as a personal challenge. And all the CEOs who listen, you, must, you know, you have to take it as a personal challenge. Responsibility to everybody under the age of 35, everybody under the age of 30 to redevelop the new knowledge economy that will drive growth in this continent. Nobody's going to come do it for us. Uh, that's that's quite true, and I know you've taken that personal responsibility, you know, a step further. You're mentoring, you know, startup founders and and incubating some some startups as well. Yeah, we you know we we have over thirty people here, young people. Most of my people that I work with are thirty and below. Mm. Um, we have startup founders that I'm mentoring directly. I have over another forty startup founders across Africa that I mentor as well. And, and the goal is always to just pass on. To, but more importantly, I actually learn from them. I, I stay young because I surround myself with young people. That's how I stay young, sharp at mind, and continue to understand. Because some of these guys are the ones who actually come up with some of these, some of the, the biggest innovation, some of the smart technologies you're talking about, happens from some of these young people. Quite a number of it happens within these young people. No, that's absolutely so, true. Yeah, so my job is to guide guide, model, and help them navigate. But most of them are actually way smarter than I am. You've been across, you know, um, you mentioned uh, Northern Ireland, you know, you know, you, I, know I know you lived in Ireland, actually, um, yeah. you know, back in the day. You've, you've taken this journey over time. You've seen how the industry has evolved. Uh, what do you think the next future, what does, what, does, what does the future trends look like for big data and AI in Africa? What, what are you seeing as the as the emerging trends? I think the, the biggest thing is that big data and AI actually has a huge footprint in this continent because we are at the beginning of actually understanding the value of what data can do to reshape our continent. And AI is at the top of that big data play. So either we like it or not, we've entered into a transition. And it, that transition has been sped up by a number of social, political, um, health issues, and a number of issues that are beyond our control. So now the conversation that we were saying, oh, let, let's take it slowly and have it over the next three, four years, let's involve five, let's, we have to implement it now. And we, we were seeing that from private sector, public, even governance, AI and governance, we're seeing that in terms of you know AI and budget and spending, um, AI management, even the people who are giving us the money, the donor countries are now requiring those metrics for the funding they give us. And being able to look inward and begin to understand our own accumulated wealth by gathering that, making that data visible, by creating visibility for the data that we need to understand the real value. Do you know that most African countries don't even know the value of their own wealth? The measurement problem, you know, yeah, because, is, is really pervasive. Because we don't know that value of the accumulated wealth that we have, we always run outside. I mean, a, a really, really intelligent man once said, if you understand and you have full visibility 
of your wealth status, you will be very shy to go out and sell that value onto someone else. As we wind up, I wanted to give you an opportunity to speak a little bit about Afia Record, uh, because I think, you know, there's a pivot there that you identified for, for Afia Record as, as, as part of our arsenal in, in, in responding to uh, not just the you know COVID-19 pandemic, but any epidemic or pandemic uh, that might be unfolding. So t- tell us a little bit about, you know, Afia Record in, in a pandemic. So uh, thank you very much. I mean, the first thing first, I mean, for me, Afia Record and this health in my, I find my, I found my personal mission in life. And that's the way that anybody who engages with me will see this. Um, so when we first started looking at Afia Record, we thought I, I was in Sierra Leone in Freetown and I was uh, investigating the Ebola issue as well. So while I'm investigating Ebola, as I think, even if you're building a health system, an EHR, as people will call it, and an application for consumers, can we build it on smart technology that allow us to actually track symptoms and geolocation? Because that was the biggest problem when people were reporting Ebola in these small um, cities, because all that information was so static they needed to wait for so many different information to come from so many different health centers to then say, oh, this is a potential epidemic, mm-hmm. right? But that means man zero has left and he has infected so many more people. Yeah. And uh, man one, so you could have all, all the way up to man 1000 before you even get to the fact that it's an epidemic. So we thought, okay, yes, we're building a health record system, yes, we're building an asset, but we can also add some interesting technologies to it uh, where government organizations and even partners can use to say, okay, well, for every symptom that happens, we geotarget and we can actually begin to understand the clusters of what those symptoms mean in real time. And I'll give you the perfect example, and that is what we call a disease alert management tool. And so we started building that before COVID. So COVID then happened and we thought, oh, okay, we actually have some technology that we're building into our software. And what it means is health workers can sit here in Nairobi and everybody who comes to get tested, they enter that information through the platform, through the digitization of all the forms that they use. And once you enter the information and you enter the location of the person. So you say, John lives at number one Nairobi street. It instantly pops up on a map. And John has the symptoms. The symptoms pops up on the map with John. So as I register all these people through just the first process of investigation and registering the person, I can see across the whole of Nairobi, everybody and every symptom. Now, now, first of all, that is powerful. You know, that is already powerful to understand the spread of the symptoms across your own city first. Then you go to the next level when the lab technician finally says that, hey, um, John is positive. So we now start doing the color code. So we move John from green to red. Mm-hmm. But everybody else who is negative is still on green, but you still see all the different symptoms, right? Yeah. Now, when you have the application, then I can see that as a county and then say, now we have these parameters. We know the people who are red. We know the people who are potentially asymptomatic because they test are positive, but they're not showing up. So we cluster them as yellow because they're potential risk as well, mm-hmm. right? So we can now say, go back to the platform and create a zone. And then when mm-hmm. we create that zone, we use all those metrics. And then we can say the zone would be 10, 50, 100, or five kilometers 
Um, and then it's based on all these metrics, which is accurate data. None of it is unstructured or inaccurate data because it's coming from them, right? Yeah. And then when they do that, they put the zone out. So now when you have the app and you hit that zone, what happens, they would have sent a message into the platform and it instantly picks you up and you just enter the high risk location, which is red. And it tells you, you gotta be careful and do all the really amazing stuff that they would want you to do to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. So you consciously now, as you enter that zone and you get those alerts, you know, because it's called a digital fence that, okay, I've just entered a very high risk location. I need to be super careful. Okay, and I need to track myself. So you're also creating a consciousness in the minds of people to continue to do the right thing without scaring the population. Okay, so now when the person moves from that zone, finally, you know, you can then cluster them into a potential risk, the same yellow, because they're potentially a risk because they might have contacted it without knowing. And then you can track this person. But what's important is you cannot sequence any disease without sequencing the symptom. And symptoms live in locations. Yeah. So you keep coming back to those locations or you keep creating radiuses around those locations to see how the symptom is spreading. So it's not even about the person who's coming in contact with it or the, per- the people that that person has come in t- t- contact with. They are part of the tracing, but it's also tracing other people who are coming in contact with those locations. Now you begin to understand the dynamics of the spread of the symptom across your whole county or your country. And you can use this for cholera, Ebola, tons of different types of diseases. And then there is your structured data, which is being entered by you as a patient through your app, because you're also trying to just monitor yourself. You can also look at our structured data and see are the symptoms correlated with the structured data. Mm. And that's where we think we win a little bit differently from, you know, again, we're not a COVID business. We're mm. health businesses are here to stay. Uh, we, you know, but we can, we will build solutions that also allow for disease management, disease tracking, and disease alert. So not just COVID. Yeah, excellent stuff. Um, this is this is uh, one of the reasons I wanted you to to share a little bit about that is because I found your approach um, fascinating. You know, the that that switch to thinking about uh, observing symptoms over geographic area. You know, I thought. You know, might be how you, we even begin to catch um, new kinds of infections before we have a name for them or even know that they're there. Uh, as people present with, you know, uh, symptoms and they begin, we begin to see this cluster of symptoms beginning to. It, it, it's fascinating because I, when I first looked at it after we built the first iteration and I saw a symptom geotagged, I got really excited. Yeah geotagging every symptom i mean that's if you could think about the world of what you can do which is those two correlations together yeah amazing stuff um so afia records um i know your website is up it's uh afia a-f-y-a-r-e-k-o-d yeah so we're launching with hospitals we are also pushing the apps out and uh, we're also launching a few other countries outside of kenya as well yeah. And also Microsoft just drafted in as um, a health partner in Africa. And that was the quickest draft. And we're now working with them on governance and, and data management and, and data privacy because they also involved a number of governments also helping those governments with data privacy and data governance. So we are aligning also when it comes to that data issue. 
congratulations. That's that's great news. Thank you. Yeah. So Afia Record, um, you, you know, uh, anyone can check it out on www.afiarecord.com. You describe it as a consumer-driven health data platform built on AI and blockchain. Thank you very much, sir. Excellent. Thank you, John Kamara, Director, Machine Intelligence Institute for Africa and founder of Afia Record and Ada Labs based here in Nairobi. Look forward to catching up again uh, you know, and, and hearing more about the, uh, the other stealth mode uh, stuff that you're currently doing uh, you know, and, 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 and speaking a little bit more about that. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it too. It's been a pleasure. Have a right. great day. You too. Bye-bye.